time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Okay, away we go. Scoops with Danny Mac, and this is the Wednesday edition of the show. Scott Manziara is our producer, engineer, co-host, chimes in, whatever you want to call him. Good guy. He's back with us, 65780. That is the text line as we jump right into it. We'll visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com and get into a lot of the minor leagues. Randy Arozarena, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libitor. Also, his thoughts on Bob Gibson. All that is coming up on the program. We'll jump into the Major League Baseball postseason. Houston is now 4-0 this postseason. Yes, your beloved Astros. Everybody wants to see them advance, don't you? Yeah, right. A's are now facing elimination. The 2-2 pitch. And a ground ball headed to shortstop. Correa to second for one. On to first. That's two. And that's the ball game as the Astros on the double play end this one and take it 5-2. to two. And it is the Astros who have won the first two games of this best of five in this American League Division Series. George Springer, two home runs. This guy is Mr. October. He's unbelievable. He's now in the top seven all-time in postseason home runs. Two more homers for him. Free agent to be. Would you take a chance on George Springer if you're the Cardinals or any team? You got to look at the splits. I think any Houston free agent, you have to look at splits. What's he do? Homer road. I know there's no trash cans this year. There's no buzzers. I get it. But still, I'd have to take a look at them. They are one win away. By the way, this would be their fourth straight American League Championship Series. So Houston, 4-0 in this postseason play. The Rays take game two against the Yankees. The Yankees went with an opener yesterday. And uh, all of a sudden, well, they said, hey, We've got this big offense. We're going to be able to do it. And then Aaron Boone saw his team strike out 18 times. Yeah, I mean, you're up against uh, as good a strikeout pitcher and team as there is in the league. Um, You know, to put five runs up there and have an opportunity to do more, there's going to be challenging nights along the way. But, you know, again, for the most part, I thought we gave ourselves a chance offensively um, with a lot of heavy at-bats, a lot of quality at bats you know tonight it just resulted in some strikeouts which you know the Rays are going to have those nights every now and then against you even when you're at your best six home runs in the game yep that guy again Randy Arozarena did it again two from Giancarlo Stanton series tied 1-1 and the Rays take game two seven five National League Dodgers take game one five to one the uh, Padres said Mike Clevenger, go for it. Didn't go so well. He gets hurt early on. Justin Turner back at it again. Turner has struck out and walked twice, and he bounces a base hit into right field. Bets is on his way home, and he'll score. Justin Turner goes the other way, finds the hole on the right side of the infield, and the Dodgers take a 3-1 to one lead. I don't know if we have to do anything, but obviously we want to win them all, so... Uh, you know, we talk about taking it one day at a time and, and doing whatever we have to do tonight, whether that was facing, you know, nine different pitchers. Uh, you know, I think I faced five different guys in all five at-bats and uh, essentially going through, um, unfortunately, with Clever, Clevenger, uh, you know, flaring up there, uh, essentially being a bullpen game. Um, but I, to have to win, uh, I, don't, I don't like that. 
but obviously we're going to do everything we can to win every game. That's big. Clevenger had to make the start, but uh, because he said, I got to go for it. I want to do it. I want to try it. The biceps gave out, becomes a bullpen game like we saw in game three against the Cardinals. They need starting pitching. If you're the Padres, well, they got to get it going in game number two. Seven hits combined between the two teams. No home runs. And the Dodgers take it by the score of 5-1. to one. The Braves, high-powered offense, comes back to defeat the Marlins 9-5. to five. Old buddy Marcelo Zuna back at it again. 2-2. Two, two. Ripped into left field. That's going to get down. That's going to tie the game. An RBI for Ozuna. And the Braves have runners at first and second as Mr. September delivers in October for the Braves to tie it at four. He was Mr. September. Nearly won the triple crown in the regular t- uh, season. Marcelo Zuna and the Braves had to come back. They win it 9-5. to five. Max Freed, the starter for the Braves, only lasted four innings. The bullpen held up. And you think about the Braves. They came in. The big question mark was about their pitching. They shut out Cincinnati in the first two games of that series. They won. And then their bullpen has just been the story of their team thus far in the three games in the postseason. And we know about their offense in Marcelo Zuna. Well, he is off to a very good start in postseason play. By the way, making his announcing debut was one Adam Wainwright. And he started his announcing debut by making an appearance on the Fox pregame show at the desk was David Ortiz in the booth was Adam Wainwright. And this is how it started. Adam, I had two questions for you, bro. <laughs> the first one, why take you guys so long in 2013 to stop pitching me? <laughs> oh my wow. gosh. I cannot believe you brought that up. Right away. <laughs> I said it earlier, but I think your your uh, your mic had cut off. Um, you know, you could have gotten out for me a couple times. That would have been great. They came to me before Game Five when I pitched against you in uh, at Bush Stadium, and they said, "What do you want to do?" And I said, I, I don't want to walk him because Napoli was doing such a great job of driving you in every time you got on base. So I said, I'm going to pitch to him. I'm going to get him out. First inning, you got a double, RBI double. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of like this day in the booth. I'm a rookie again, and I'm going to learn my lessons like I learned them against you. <laughs> and the second one is not a question. It's an advice. Good luck working with AJ today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to need it. Oh, gonna Adam, have fun. Welcome to Fox, man. I can't wait to hear you today. It is the question I've been wondering, too. Why did they continue to pitch to David Ortiz? Why? Thank you, David, for asking that question. You got your answer, Dan. It's only been seven years. Why? Walk them. Put them on. Yeah, I'm still frustrated. Caution the series. World, uh, World Series tickets, Globe Life Stadium, and also NLCS tickets. I don't know if you knew this. There's going to be fans in the stands. You know that? Yeah, I was I was uh, reading about it a little bit ago. 11,500 fans will be in the seats for the NLCS and the World Series sold out in 90 minutes. And I give kind of some optimism here after seeing some of these uh, different NFL games with this smaller crowd that they make noise. It's going to sound oh, yeah. 10 times better. What I'm curious about is if you still pipe in some crowd just to enhance the broadcast on television. You go into a nationally 
a televised audience and a worldwide audience, really. It's going everywhere. So 11,500 people in a huge ballpark. I'm not sure what that holds. I'm assuming it's over well over 40,000, probably around 43, maybe 45,000. Could be small. I don't know. That's a good guess. Um, but regardless, you know, I wonder if they still just slightly pipe in some of the uh, the crowd. Fox is really innovative um, in trying to make sure that the broadcast is going to be as good as it can be. Clearly, it's the World Series. But still, 11,500 fans. I like it. Socially distanced. So they're going to try to make sure that that goes out without out of hitch and make sure it works. They're doing it in college football. Some NFL teams are doing it. It's sold out in 90 minutes. Uh, coming up, I'm going to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. On a personal note, I have, uh, as many of you know, a website, scoopswithdannymack.com. I've added Chris Raby. Chris Raby used to work at KMOX, used to do a lot of Cardinal baseball stuff, and uh, he is going to be working now at scoopswithdannymack.com. He's adding content every single day. He caught up with Scott Miller, who is one of the most respected baseball writers in the country. And a lot of uh, emotions are pouring in from around the country about the loss of Bob Gibson. And here was Scott Miller's thoughts on the loss of number 45. I love over the years. I've been really fortunate. Uh, I've been to about 15 or 18 uh, Hall of Fame induction weekends and talking to Hall of Famers, just listening to guys like Joe Torrey and on and on talking about just the reverence they had for Bob Gibson. You could tell what a special, special guy he was. And, you know, my heart goes out to say it's been so tough the past month or two in St. Louis, uh, you know, losing both Lou Brock and Bob Gibson. Since April, losing four Hall of Famers, Gibson, Brock, Tom Seaver, Al Kaline of Detroit back in April, it just... You know, these are holes we're never going to be able to replace. I mean, we were better for having them in our game. We were better for um, having them in our universe. But, um, you know, these guys come our way just once, and we have to really treasure them while they're here. And you think about how one individual changed the sport. Now, 1968, 1.12, and I'm curious – for any fan that's listening, text line 65780. I'm going to ask Brian Walton about this, too. And I'm curious to any listener. I've been thinking a lot about this, whether it's basketball, golf, um, whatever you're thinking. I, I, you know, baseball now, football. 1968, 1.12, they lower the mound. And many people point to Bob Gibson. And... They say it's because of Gibson. Now, I asked Bob about that, and Bob had always said, you know, people look at me, but you got to remember 1968 was the year of the pitcher. But I had the 1.12, so they kind of say, well, they lowered it because of me. He said it was really the year of the pitcher. But I wonder at any sport now, would they change the sport because of somebody, one individual? You know, college basketball, they moved the three-point line back. That was kind of to for the sport in general. It wasn't just one guy, one person. Bryson DeChambeau, what he's doing in golf, he's destroying the golf ball. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, is there one person that you would change a rule for because of one person right now in 2020? I mean, think about that. You change a sport and a massive rule. I mean, you lowered the mound because of Bob Gibson, which is incredible. And Bob talked about how he said, didn't make a difference to me. He said, I wasn't totally 
He said, you got to think of Michael Waka. Waka was totally, you know, a guy that was kind of like from 12 when he threw on a clock down, downward. He said, I wasn't. He goes, I was, you know, from the side a little bit. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very, very interesting um, to think about that. The 314, they lengthen fairways because of Tiger. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but anyway, here's Scott Miller on Scoops with Danny Mack with his visit with Chris Raby talking about just Bob and the impact in the sport. Intimidator. And I mean that in the best possible sense. Um, that was back when, you know, how often have we heard lately about baseball changing rules? And, you know, it used to be baseball players uh, p- patrolled the game themselves. And, you know, I know that's kind of like talking about back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But, you know, I mean, Gibson was just so intimidating and so good. And I loved the stories about how he would not even talk to hitters on his own team, let alone hitters on other teams, you know, that just if you were a hitter, he didn't want anything to do with you because you were his enemy. And, you know, the year he put up in 1968, obviously, caused baseball to change the rules the next year. They lowered the mound. I mean, you think of like before he was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you think of Lou Alcindor at UCLA when the NCAA outlawed dunking in college games. One man, like Lou Alcindor then, Bob Gibson on the field, one man, for one man to cause rule changes. I, I mean, it's just that alone tells you how singularly great that particular man slash athlete was in his generation, how, how much he dominated. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Again, you can listen to that whole interview, scoops of DannyMac.com. Chris Raby, new addition to the website. Hope you go there. Tons of content. And uh, appreciate everything that Chris Raby is doing there. In the NBA last night. Hero throws it up. That one will go with 1.1 remaining. And that'll do it. The Lakers bounce back after that disappointing loss in Game 3 and are back in control of these NBA Finals. Anthony Davis, a slow start in this one after a rough Game 3. LeBron James, same thing, but both turned it on in the second half. And the Lakers lead it three games to one. A tough loss for Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. LeBron had 28, 12, and 8 series. Is it over? Yep. Yeah, it's over. That will give LeBron a championship with the Heat, the Lakers, Cleveland. And, um, yeah, I think it's over. Done. The Blues, they had their selection of Jake Neighbors, 26 overall pick. And uh, we'll talk... uh, Maybe later in the show, what does that mean for Petro? They didn't make any moves in terms of trade, so all right, they signed some kid. All right, we'll find out in five years if he can play. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. As we do every Wednesday, a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Plenty of baseball to get into. As it pertains to the Cardinals, plenty of interest in this offseason. Brian, always great to hear your voice. How are things? Well, I'm doing fine, Dan. It'd be much more fun if we were still talking about the Cardinals playing in the division series. But uh, the season for them is done as we watch the eight other teams try to make it to the top. Uh, I wanted to get you on, as we do every Wednesday, and and talk baseball, but you had a very interesting article about, and really just kind of a personal note about Bob Gibson and what he meant to you. You you grew up a Cardinal fan. I know you don't get into your fandom because you're in the media. You write about the game. But uh, you kind of let yourself, 
if you want to say you let your guard down, if you will, for a moment to to talk about your personal feelings of Bob Gibson. What what did Bob mean to you from the fans' perspective of his, of a, a kid that grew up in, by the way, Omaha, Nebraska, which is where Bob is from? Yes, I, I mean, uh, my childhood, we listened to Cardinals games, you know, every every day on the radio. And in those days, you know, there wasn't there wasn't uh, regional cable networks where we could see every game on TV. It was the game of the week on NBC on Saturday afternoon, and more often than not, it was the Yankees and the Red Sox. So, you know, the rare treat where we got to see the Cardinals play, except in the postseason, you know, it was rare. But, uh, you know, Bob Gibson, you know, you know, the guy from your hometown and, of course, the most dominant pitcher in his generation, uh, you know, it was just a natural. And I finally got to meet him uh, in 2005 in the backfields in Jupiter one morning. And I wrote a story at that time about it. Decided to, you know, bring it back 15 years later uh, as I, you know, had the many different emotions as, as unfortunately Bob Gibson uh, left us uh, just, you know, a great, a great Cardinal, a great ambassador of the game. I just, you know, you just saw the, you know, the outpouring of tributes. I, I spent a whole morning just reading uh, other articles and, and watching uh, webcasts and, and videos and just, you know, reliving the, the greatness that was Bob Gibson, not only when he played, but, but afterward uh, um, uh, very candid about, any subject, uh, including steroids, which is one that got me into a little trouble with him. But, you know, just just a, a, a great, great person and someone that we'll remember as as the greatest singles Cardinals pitcher of all time. What did you take away from from some of the things that uh, you're watching and reading about about Gibby that maybe some of our younger listeners would not know? <laughs> well, you know, everybody kind of knows the statistical facts and the, you know, the great season in 68 and lowering the mound. But you just look at his dominance and the number of complete games, you know, going an entire season without being taken out for a relief pitcher. I mean, just some of the, some of the incredible feet, you know, playing with a, with a broken leg. I mean, <laughs> just, it just the, the determination that he had to not lose is something that is talked about in sports up and down, but, you know, tends to become a cliche, right? Everybody's tough. Uh, everybody's gracious, but Bob Gibson, you know, really set the mold for that. And uh, you know, it, it took a great man when he retired in 75, he realized he'd got to the point where he couldn't compete at the level that he wanted to and expected to. So, you know, he, he left the game, I don't know what, a month early um, because he just didn't feel he could be himself anymore. And, you know, not a lot of guys do that. I was trying to think in last night, I was thinking about this in any sport, but certainly in baseball, and this is kind of a tough question for you, but I don't know. I, I, and maybe some of the, the folks that listen to this would have ideas about it, but if there's something in the sport or any sport that an individual would change, I mean, you've seen in college basketball, they've moved the three point line back uh, because they, they wanted to do some different things with opening it up and they, they wanted to make it tougher, but you know, an individual that just changes the game so dramatically and, and he was one and that told me, he said, look, 68 was a great year for all pitchers. He said, I just kind of became the poster child for it. And we all kind of reflect on it and say, he's the guy that changed the game, which in reality he is. 1.12 is going to do that. But I wonder if there's anything now in sports in 2020 that in any sport you'd say, we need to change the game because that guy's so good. I, I don't know if it's Bryson DeChambeau because he's destroying a golf ball. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anybody that you could sit there and say, we need to do something different because this is just too good. This guy's too good at what he does. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's a fair point also about six. Yeah, I mean, Danny McLean won 30 games, right? I mean, nobody nobody's going to win 30 games again based on how pitching is, is deployed today. Guys barely get 30 starts. So there were definitely other factors going on in the game that they felt they needed to neutralize. But I think I think the part about Gibson's you know dominance that is maybe not completely understood is that you know, people thought he was just me. Well, what he wanted to do was he wanted the only inside of the plate. And very simple, if you own the inside of the plate, guys can't reach out and handle the balls on the outside of the plate. So, you know, he wasn't out there trying to hit people just to hit them. He was out there because he felt that was the most effective way to get outs. And we don't see that much today, Dan. I mean, you know, pitchers, maybe they can't control their offerings as everybody's trying to throw 100 miles an hour. But, you know, very rarely do we see guys who make a living keeping hitters off the inside of the plate. We've got everybody's got armor and pads and you know, now, the, you know, we see guys making a living handling the outside pitches. Yeah. And in Gibson's day, they wouldn't have been able to do that. And and that leads me to, let's talk about the Cardinals. Uh, they, they come up short in Game 3. I thought a reason why Jack Flaherty was effective in Game 3 was the fact that he pitched inside. Now, he kept the ball down, but he also was effective because he pitched inside, which is something we did not see in Game 2 from some of the relief core, at least in my mind, of of allowing a couple of different four-run leads get away. Twice the Cardinals had that, and they they walked everybody too, which led to crooked numbers. But pitching inside, you know, and, and we, we look at it with Bob Gibson, but I thought that Jack Flaherty was able to do that in Game 3. I agree, Dan, and there's no reason why the Cardinals shouldn't have won game three. Now, there was obviously a, a huge letdown because, as you said, the, you know, they had Wayne right on the mound with a, a four to nothing lead and then a six to two lead. And then, the, you know, the bullpen imploded, Gallegos and Cabrera, and everybody knows how that went. But, I mean, you know, the Cardinals scored nine runs in a game. You know, they ought to win. There's just no ex- there's no excuse for that. And I think, you know, the, the offense definitely came out flat in game three. But, uh, you know, Jack Flaherty should have been the winner in that game three. And the Cardinals were positioned in the right place. They had the top, you know, their top guy in the mound and a parade of Padres relievers. And the offense just rolled over. I mean, no, no runs against nine different pitchers. It was just a terrible, terrible, disappointing performance and a, and a you know, tough, tough way to end the season. So what do you think needs to happen with the Cardinals going into this offseason to try to improve the 2021 St. Louis Cardinals offensively? Well, it's going to be a difficult balance for John Mozeliak. I mean, he talked with us before one of the stories I'm working on right now. You know, he was very candid at the trade deadline saying, hey, you know, we're not, you know, we're not adding guys now. We want to see what we have with the outfielders to determine whether we need to go external in the offseason. Well, it's they need to go external in the offseason. And, you know, as much as it'd be great to go, you know, get a George Springer who hit, you know, who hit a couple home runs yesterday and I think it's six for nine for – you know, for the Astros in the series, you know, he's not going to, he's not going to be in the Cardinals price range. The Cardinals are in a tough shape payroll wise because of the, the contracts for Fowler and Carpenter that are, aren't yet off the books and they're not guys they can trade. So it's, you know, it's like they're going to have to go make another Ozuna kind of trade where they have to give up depth pitching and catching are obviously still two areas that they could maybe afford to deal from and to try to find a, a, a bat that has a reasonable salary that they can fit into their structure. And, it's not going to be easy, but I think that's what they have to try to do. We're seeing Randy Orozarena take off with the the Tampa Bay Rays. You're a guy, and Brian Walton is our guest, that makes a living off of really covering and diving into the minor leagues and certainly the Cardinals minor league system. Did you see Orozarena? He hit at every level. Did you see him making this kind of immediate impact at the major league level? 
Oh, of course not. But I mean, we, you know, in fairness, we had Randy Rosarena around the, I don't know, 12th or 13th on our, on our prospect ranking, but you know, based on results until his final year at AAA, you know, we thought Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill, you know, looked like potentially better major league prospects. Although Rosarena, you know, certainly had a very well balanced game, but it, you know, as the Cardinals made different decisions about outfields as they traded over time, going back to Oscar Mercado, you know, they, they decided, you know, these are the guys we want to keep and these are the guys we want to trade. And we don't know how the, we don't know how the uh, trade went down, whether the, whether the Rays, you know, demanded a Rosarina or whether the Cardinals made him available. But, you know, based on this very small sample, you know, Randy's, I mean, what is he hitting like number three for, for Tampa Bay, a team that, uh, you know, won their division and looks like they're going to, you know, continue to push ahead in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, in this very small sample size, it's, it's tough for Cardinals fans to see Randy performing well, knowing, you know, he could have been with St. Louis, but, um, you know, we'll just have to see. How about uh, Libertor, who the Cardinals got back? You know, he's the big lefty. Nolan Gorman's best friend is a childhood friends, and and we'll talk about Nolan Gorman in just a moment about his impact. But Libertor is intriguing to me. I, I with a lost minor league season, I'm I'm just fascinated to know how and when he could possibly make an impact on the St. Louis Cardinals. Because when you have players that make an impact in the major leagues, people are going to say, "Well, when's when's the other side going to get their guy?" You know what I mean? You want to you want to trade to work on both ends, so you, you're sitting there saying. When's Libertor going to make the impact for the Cardinals? Yeah, and we really don't know, Dan. It's it's unfortunate that uh, of, because of COVID and, and all the things that were going on, the Cardinals were never able to open up alternate camp to any outsiders, whether they be scouts or media. So, you know, while we go reports on everybody, you know, in 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 uh, summer camp in Springfield, we really don't know exactly what was going on. But uh, Libertor and Zach Thompson, we can't you know forget about the the. The uh, left, uh, both left-handers are in a position where you would think that they'll either start in Double A next year and move up to Triple A, or maybe even be a Triple A next year and be in, you know, in a position where they could potentially contribute to St. Louis next season. And as I talked about in in the last question, you know, the Cardinals may have to trade some pitching depth to to get some offensive help. And so you know, these young pitchers that are coming up, that specifically the two you mentioned, are guys that could easily you know find themselves in the picture next season. Yeah, Nolan Gorman is another one that intrigues me too. Cardinals need power; they need slugging. Mike Schilt even talked about it. He said, "Hey, we're getting guys on base." We're not bringing them in. We're not hitting with the power and the slugging that we need. Nolan Gorman would be one of those guys. Um, in terms of ETA for him, what did you project in a normal season ETA for Nolan Gorman for where he was going to be at this year in the minor leagues? And then what would be the normal uh, you know, trajectory for a guy like Nolan Gorman? Well, my optimistic you know, hope for Gorman in twenty twenty had it been a regular year would have been a season like Dylan Carlson had last year, right? Uh, play most of the year at double a perform well, uh, be recognized, move up, get a, you know, get a taste at triple a, and then take it from there. Again, we don't know, you know, how his season progressed this year. Certainly it wouldn't be the same experience level as it would have been had he played 144 game season and some playoffs. So, but, you know, the Cardinals are positioned another year of Matt Carpenter at third base and Tommy Edmund filling in doing, you know, Tommy Edmund things. And, you know, 2021 is going to be a huge pivotal year for Nolan Gorman because, you know, there's I get there's a segment of fans that still want to see the Cardinals, you know, get Nolan Arenado, but that's just not going to happen in the financial world we're living in right now. So, you know, we've got to get through one more year and hope that 2021 Nolan Gorman gets a better 
grasp on the strike zone, controls those strikeouts, and can you know be that next power threat in the in the middle of the lineup for the Cardinals. It'll be fascinating this offseason with Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Just just your 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 gut feeling with the economics, the budgetary constraints of all baseball, not just the Cardinals, but all baseball. Uh, just how you think they approach this situation? What do you think? Well, I, I mean, we've seen the last couple of years with Wainwright that that Adam's willing to take a an incentive based contract, uh, and so I'm sure that's what they'll work out again. Yadi uh, is going to be a little different because his expectations are, I think, going to be higher uh, in terms of how much money he gets, and there'll probably be some respect concerns if he doesn't get the kind of deal he wants. Uh, I think a I think a one year deal with mutual options would be the right way to go. And, you know, give him a high enough base that he's satisfied, but also, uh, you know, give him some incentives as well. Although not, not too many incentives because ideally, you know, in my mind, Yachty would catch hundred, 120 games. He wouldn't catch 140 or 150, you know, and, you know, I, I don't, I don't care. He's, he's out of your Molina, but still eventually, you know, he's going to, the eight is going to catch up with him. And so, you know, him, you know, catching another 140 games next year or 150 games is just something that I don't think is going to be a wise thing. I mean, we saw younger men like Paul DeYoung sort of, you know, run out of gas uh, for the second year in a row. And I just, I just think, and it, you know, it's a challenge because one of the Cardinals trade chips is clearly Andrew Kisner. So, uh, and uh, Yvonne Herrera would be the next guy in line and catching. And we don't know how he did this year. He has no AAA experience. So, you know, he, he probably wouldn't be ready to step in. So, it might be that if they trade Kisner, then they, you know, they bring back the the veteran for another year, Matt Weeders, or they go out and get a, a journeyman until they see if, if Herrera can be ready. Hey, Brian, great stuff. What are you working on right now at thecardinalnation.com? <clears throat> well, we've uh, done recaps of uh, the pitchers and the hitters in the postseason, you know, looking at the guys who stood out and the guys who disappointed, uh, you know, and unfortunately some of the guys who disappointed, like Hennessy Cabrera, Harrison Bader. Uh, I'm going to get into the players that made their playoff debuts and the ones who didn't. Uh, we'll get into, as I mentioned, this this issue of um, you know what they're going to do in terms of uh, potentially going external for for help for the offense. We'll get into free agents, uh, potential free agents, both at the major major and minor league level. So uh, a lot of things to write about as we come up before uh, a month or so until we start our next uh, round of prospect rankings. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Take care, Dan. That's Brian Walton. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. The 26th selection in the 2020 NHL draft will be made by St. Louis Blues general manager Doug Armstrong. The St. Louis Blues select from Edmonton, Jake Neighbors. So that was a selection for the St. Louis Blues. He is a forward. No trades for the Blues last night. We're close to free agency. By the way, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said last night the league is focused on a January 1 start date for next season. That was appearing from the NHL Network Studios in New Jersey ahead of the NHL draft. Bettman said... The decision came after discussions with the PA. Bettman said the decision was made based on what we have learned and what we know and what we even still don't know regarding COVID-19 and the pandemic. Bettman also reiterated that the league hopes to play a full one, uh, a full 82-game season and have fans in arenas. 
He added that planning discussions with the PA will begin shortly after the free agency period. That begins Friday. Among the items the league and the PA will discuss are the format and the schedule, as well as health and safety initiatives. It is also official this morning, Saturday's Mizzou-LSU football game will move from Baton Rouge to Columbia. So they'll play it for row, 11 a.m. start at Memorial Stadium. The SEC have formally announced that change in venue, kickoff time, and uh, again, 11 a.m. Eli Drinkowitz was on a Zoom yesterday and talked about is there home field advantage if you don't have packed stadiums and even if there's just a handful of fans in these stadiums for these SEC games? Um, there were some crowd noise issues in the first quarter, uh, but we finally got that fixed, you know. But um, no, I mean, I didn't, I don't, I don't know. I, I was so focused on the game, I, whether home or away, I, I don't really pay attention to all that stuff. I don't, I mean, the, the biggest thing on the road when you travel is just the, enhanced issues that you have because of COVID protocols and how paranoid you are about um, that, that whole situation. So they moved that game because of the pending impact of Hurricane Delta on Louisiana, and it'll be a home game for Mizzou this weekend. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. A little bit of breaking news here on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN breaking news alert. All right, guys, the Minnesota Wild just traded St. Louis and Luke Cunning in the number 101 pick in the NHL draft to the Nashville Predators for Nick Bonino and picks number 37 and number 70. It's a big move right there. You like that? I love it for Luke. Yeah, good Absolutely. spot. Absolutely. Good spot for him. They got a lot of skill. In Nashville, and it, something that's happened to Luke Cunning over the last couple of years, and I've noticed it just because I've worked with the kid and watched him grow up, and he's part of that elite group that came out of uh, St. Louis here, is I feel like the Minnesota Wild have tried to change him into something that maybe he's not ultimately, which is you know a pest, physical grinder. He's a super skilled hockey player, and he's a great two-way forward and I feel like he's gotten away from some of that. So I think that going to Nashville will put him back in a spot to where he can create more offense again and use his speed and his skill to his advantage. He's a really good player. How about uh, what's coming up on the show? Of course, I'm running late. I uh, apologize. I don't want to run into your show. You know that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Don't do that, Dan. No, I don't. I, don't, you know, I just need to get out of your way. <laughs> we got a lot coming up today. Uh, BK's gone wild as always. Yeah. So we've got you coming up today, yep. Danny. We got uh, Chris Kerber yep. coming on. So we'll talk about the Blues and the NHL draft and some of that stuff. We're having a lot of fun today. Love it. Love it. Ribs BK next. Scott, great job. 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.